Terry Woodard, and this is Admire, where today I have the opportunity to talk with an exceptional woman from business and sports. As a high school athlete, she played six sports, including playing tennis for the boys' team. She was an All-American basketball player in college and played professionally for three years. After college, she spent 17 years as an executive for the PGA Tour and six years leading the WNBA. Now CEO of her own company, as well as her nonprofit, Generation W, Don Arenda, welcome to Admire. Larry, thank you so much. My first question has to do with how you navigated your choices as a young person. There you were playing basketball, volleyball, softball, tennis, field hockey, and God knows what else. You were a good student. How did you decide where to focus and what led to your career decision? <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm still deciding where I should focus. Right. Um, I think the fact that I played a lot of sports is probably indicate, it is indicative of my kind of expansive interest in so many things. Um, I knew that I really loved the game of basketball. That spoke to me um, differently than the other sports, although I still continued to play. And so I focused there. And honestly, I kind of jumped in the river and I flowed with it. I didn't say I have to be here. I mean, a career in television, which is really my first career after playing professional basketball, um, was something that was adjacent to what I was doing, something I thought I was interested in. I met people who were in the media. And that's kind of how I flowed and continue to flow. I I, I feel like I, I get exposed to really interesting people, interesting endeavors, and then I choose to explore them more. So you're at the PGA Tour, where you stayed for 17 years, and it's not just a boys club. It's also pretty conservative. What skills allowed you to not just survive there, but to thrive and make a lasting contribution? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, 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 uh, I want to be very thoughtful about how I say this because it's, I think, how I live my life every day, which is I am determined and committed to do work that is excellent. I am dedicated to, to doing it because it's the right thing to do, which involves sometimes mediating situations mm-hmm. of not where people want to do the wrong thing, but really spending the time to think about all of the variables that impact the decision. And obviously, as you get older, you learn more about the depth and breadth of those. And so I, I think people related to the energy that I brought to the task at hand, the fact that I was always about moving the business forward, making it better, thinking broader than just the box that was in front of us. And I think that enabled me to continue to build businesses. I was, a, I was really an entrepreneur when I was at the PGA Tour, having started so many different initiatives and businesses mm-hmm. that helped the overall tour grow, which I remain very proud of to this day. Yeah, um, I, it just always fascinates me when someone gets uh, inside of a, uh, of a career uh, where they're one of one or one of a few, uh, but they, they, they not only swim, uh, you know, they, they win a lot of times. And so that, that's just always been interesting to me. A few years ago, I had a great one-on-one conversation with the late, great David Stern, who oversaw the birth and early growth of the WNBA. He told me that launching the WNBA and getting it established was one of the most difficult tasks of his career. First, do you agree that it was hard? And if so, why was it hard? Oh, I have no doubt it was hard. And it's probably one of the reasons he hung on to it. I mean, it's truly one of his, you know, one of his uh, linchpin legacy pieces is the WNBA. I'm forever, ever grateful for David. I don't know who would have done this if it not been for him and his leadership. Um, 
it was hard because for so many reasons that it's hard. He was building something that was outside of the vision of the mainstream, right? He's in a male basketball league in a world that is all about men and sports. And he's saying, let's create a space for the women. And economically, people are not seeing where that can be viable, although we have seen now that it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a lot of fans of the game, per se. There were fans, um, but always came with a harsh judgment. Harsh judgment against strong women. Harsh judgment against women of color. Harsh judgment against um, women who had, who, um, who had different sexual orientations. I mean, every step of the way, there, were, there was at least a group of people who were anti. Mm-hmm. And so God blessed him. I always loved him because of he did it for business reasons, but he also did it because it was the right reason. Mm-hmm. So That's uh, your leadership. Yep. So I've listened, and in preparation, actually, for this interview, I listened again to your TEDx talk, which is wonderful, and people should look that up and listen to it. Uh, but Thanks. Um, Thank you, Larry. Some 40 years ago, you know, right at the, uh, the advent of Title IX, uh, as you say in your TEDx talk, uh, one in 27 girls were playing sports. You know, certainly now there are many more. Uh, I read a statistic last year from a Mintel study that said that uh, women are the fastest growing group of sports people, but the most underserved in, tor- in terms of sports apparel. Um, what's the state of women's sports today in the United States? You know, it's so funny. It reminds me of a conversation I had with one of my colleagues recently when we were talking about just the state of women in general. And on one hand, um, I'm like, I'm just dissatisfied. It's not where it could be. It's not where it should be. It's not growing fast enough. And she said, Donna, and she started to tell me the story of her great-grandmother who was, um, you know, of slaves. And she said, you know, she looks at today and she says, oh, my, aren't you fortunate? And in between all of that, I think there's this answer of, yes, there's progress, but, um, but not where we should or could be, especially in a country as, a, you know, as rich, as diverse, um, with such, as the opportunities that we have here in America. I mean, let's just look what's happening in soccer. The revelation of those comments that were made by the leader of USA Soccer mm-hmm. are abominable. And while they should never have been said, I am glad they were because they do, they're very, they're revelatory. And they not only revealed a legal stance that, the, that this organization that was supposed to represent, by the way, both men and women equally, right. but of a greater voice around this country. And it's important that we know what people think so we can continue to educate, illuminate, and innovate to make sure that our daughters, our nieces, um, our girlfriends, our moms, have equal opportunities uh, I, and are recognized by the way and recognized right, right. for the talent they bring to the marketplace. I, the thing about soccer that to me is so unbelievable is these women won four world cups. They have dominated the world stage and in so doing have built up a worldwide fan base that has paid real dollars that have brought real elbow, uh, eyeballs with real economic power behind them to the marketplace. And yet they're still not recognized or validated for all that they have done. And I think that just absolutely tells us about the deep-seated bias that exists in our world. Right. And And the one that we can... Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd I'd really love to delve into that. And and we're going to. I I was speaking earlier in the week with Dr. Jen Welter, you know, the first uh, coach Uh of the NFL. 
And 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 Jen told me that um, she was so nonplussed when she got a call one day and they said, listen, you're one of the 45 best uh, football players. We're, we want to invite you to play in this, uh, you know, first of all, world championship. And she said she got goosebumps. And then he said, you're going to have to pay three thousand dollars. And you're going to. And she said, what sport? When you've been recognized as one of the best, then says in their next statement, you got to pay $3,000 to come and, uh, you know, and, and, and play, you know, your sport. Uh, so, so I get that, you know, one of the, the things that I look at and that um, uh, I really measure people who I admire by the most is when, when somebody who has achieved like you have turns around and they start giving back and that becomes their passion. You know, you're dedicated to the platforms you've developed through Generation W, your nonprofit that focuses on education, inspiration, and connection of women and girls in the service of building community. I've attended the signature sure. event in Jacksonville, and, and I have to say it was cathartic for me. It was educational, moving, and inspiring. What drives your passion for connecting and inspiring women and girls? I think, honestly, Barry, I think we are hardwired. If we can just get out of our own way, each and every person, each of us, would be able to tap into our own physical, emotional, social need to connect and do for others. And it's real. It's where the real magic of living is. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always been touched. I can recall very distinct points in my life where people have acknowledged me or done something for me that they didn't have to do. It, you know, it's an anonymous person. You know, I, I often think about that, you know, almost, um, well, a simple smile from someone you don't know in the street and how that can <clears throat> trigger such a nice response in you Mm -hmm. and understanding how valuable that is. I want to make sure that I do that for other people. I also, after leading the WNBA came, you know, look, look it in the face, look bias, look, look discrimination. Um, looked all these things that were not pretty in right in the eyes and said, you know what? I am in a position to help us all elevate. And as long as I am and I can, then I will. Hmm. Well said. Uh, There's a famous quote from Thurgood Marshall, the Supreme Court Justice, where he said, sometimes I get awfully tired of trying to save the white man's soul. Uh, I heard your son speak uh, at your women's conference, and he was, as we say in the vernacular, woke. Uh, So I know that you understand that opportunities for women and girls depend on how quickly everyone, men and women, get educated and change their behaviors. I want to ask you. When and if we get to what I call all the way to bright with inclusion and diversity and opportunities in this country with respect to women, what will that look like? Well, I, I, listen, I think it's women, but I think it's men as well. Women don't don't wake up uh, you know, without men doing the thing, mm-hmm. right? We dance together every single day, right? People of all colors dance together in this community of the United States. What a unique community, right? Every single day. We have to do this together right and so and it, and it comes from a self-belief but we do not do anything alone right and it's funny i love that Brene brown says this i love her work when she says you know we are not made to do anything alone we are made to rely on others um and now i uh, david brooks who i adore and i seem to have this mental hepatico with him which is like this weird thing that every time i'm thinking about something I pick up something he's written and I'm like, oh my God, right. there it is. And if you read the second mountain, I mean, basically he says my second mountain is about understanding that life is not about me. It's not about this rugged individualism that we've so embraced in the United States. 
But it's about this connectedness, about this community moving together and helping others and and really being able to attain pure joy that is released when you work on behalf of others. And I, I will tell you, reading his words, identifying that that was in me that that lives by that, ascribes to that as best as I can, um, is so incredibly liberating. And to me, that is what the world looks like. That's, that that's, is what the world looks like. Got it. You have been in and around sports um, all your life. Uh, and uh, at the highest level, you've both played in the stadium with people watching and you've been in the stadium watching, you know, some of some of the greats, the PGA Tour basketball. Um, you've spoken passionately in the past about just how powerful sports is to us in this society. Right now, none of our professional leagues is playing and we're all trying to do our part to lessen the effects of COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, first, how are you coping? And secondly, what's your advice to others? You know, you make me think when you say that. It's a very thoughtful question there. Is, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Mm. I think we, first of all, I, I believe so much in the power of sports on so many different levels, right? On um, the ability to achieve individually in terms of um, understanding your own strengths, both emotionally and physically. The collective experience of competing with a team. Um, the intergenerational understanding between coaches and players. There's just so much to learn. The social, the political, all of it. However, we have so much of it. I remember growing up and it was like, what would a girl from Long Island ever care about Nebraska, Nebraska State or the, the college football game of that Saturday? Other than TV told me it was important and that was the game we were all going to focus on together. Mm -hmm. Think about that. That's what, because that's all that. That's all there was. Now there's like, you know, how many games? I'll, I'll exaggerate for a second. Five thousand games on a weekend. Obviously, there's not that many. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's an individual choice. I want what I want, what I want it, and we would probably continue that business model. It takes away from the collective experience. I think not having sports right now allows us to focus on okay, what's really important. Sports is important. There will be, I do believe, a running back to what's important. Um, and, a, and an appreciation that sometimes our senses are dulled by just being overstimulated. That's thoughtful. Um, so um, just to, to further that, because one of the things that, that I'm trying to do with this podcast is also, you know, help people be insightful and instructive and, and give them some instruction on, on some of the things that they're going through. Um, you uh, were a mother at the same time that you were an executive, and now so many people um, are at home and they're with their children and they're trying to, to watch over more closely their education and they're trying to do whatever they can at their jobs. And it's just a lot. And there's a lot of stress going on. What advice would you have to people who are in those situations like we all are? First of all, understand that it is overwhelming and you are not alone. Hmm. Somewhere, even if you never watched Leave It to Beaver or My Three Sons or whatever else, I don't know what the modern day family like that would look like. And it's not even the modern day family. It's pick the modern day family that acts perfectly, right? Um, it, it is really challenging. And especially for women who every bit of data and forget about the data. I mean, anecdotally, all of my friends still uh, overshare their share of the home responsibilities, mm -hmm. even with the best of partners. I mean, there are a lot of good partners, great partners. My husband's a great partner. Um, but there's a lot of responsibility that falls within a woman's purview. Imagine if you're a single mom. 
Um, and so we talk about it actually with our Zoom group in the morning, which is my colleagues at Gen W, who are an amazing group of women. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like one step at a time, right? Okay, let's let's organize this piece. And let's figure that out, and let's figure this out the best we can. And accepting that perfect is not the target. I I always say that perfect is the enemy of go. If you think you have to be perfect, you'll never get anything done. But if you accept the fact that you can do your best to get the best that you can at any single time, then you will be able to at least release some of that anxiety of saying, I have to do all of this and I have to do it great. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. And and I like the the way that... um uh, not only did you, you give good instruction, which men and women can take, but you, you did state something that, that we know is absolutely true in our in, in our society. And that is that no matter what's going on, women still are bearing the greater brunt. You know, um, it's like with both my wife and I in the house, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm trying my best to, you know, to, to do my share of the dishes and my, the vacuuming and and, and, the, and, the, and the laundry. But it is too much. And a lot of times, you know, it's like I just let, let's sit down, let's let's watch Ozark, let's let's watch a little Netflix because it's like if you're just always working, then you're always working, you know. And part of life Correct. really is, you know, that that interaction, that that one to one. And and I think we're finding that, you know, we're finding. But that. imagine, you know, you have three. You imagine you have three little kids. You know, little kids are demanding. They they need a lot. You know how do you you know and. <laughs> You have to keep them either entertained or engaged or you have to teach them. This is a great time to try to teach some kind of reliance on entertaining yourself as opposed to it. Listen, it is, it's a challenging time. It's a challenging time. And um, it takes a lot of work to get that done. And at the same time, you're the breadwinner, even if you're not the breadwinner, if you're just working. Right. That responsibility of what your workplace expects and what you want to deliver. I um I love the story recently that I saw. I think it was in the Midwest where these um, medical students who were clearly not in medical school right now, but wanted to do something and they organized babysitters Mm -hmm. for healthcare workers. And even if the healthcare workers were home, it it didn't matter. They got assigned to a family. They did this this beautiful match. And they said, you know what? We're just going to relieve the pressure. We're going to come over whatever they agreed, whether it was one hour, two hours, three hours a day. But to have somebody to just give you a chance to breathe is really important as well. And it's a great story about community and thoughtfulness and imagination. Yeah, and I'm looking for those stories right now. I really am. And my wife's a school teacher. And so she, like a lot of other teachers, wakes up in the morning and she's doing all her videos and she's trying to learn the tools uh, to, to teach her class digitally while at the same time having to do it. Um, and, and I'm seeing her put in really 15, 16 hours a day. And if nothing else, I've come, um, I'm, I'm coming out of this with a greater appreciation of our school teachers and our first responders and, you know, and, and our uh, home aides, uh, anyone that's having to do that really, really difficult job for, um, for not enough pay, you know, and, uh, and, and that's something that, that I'm learning uh, out of this whole, this, this whole. Ep- right. Well, think about it. You know, you, you think about who, who, Again, what is this situation teaching us? Who, who is who is providing the incredible value to our everyday life? And who is expressing the most vaunted of life values? Mm-hmm. And then how do we regard them in our general society? 
if that's not one of the biggest lessons that's slapping us in our face, I don't know what is, Larry. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. And then how do we adjust that? You know, we talk about people saying, well, there's a new normal. And I'm saying, you know what? Maybe we need some new normal. So how do we make some of the new normals? Listen, uh, any parting thoughts for our listeners? Larry, I just appreciated all of your thoughtfulness and your really great questions. Um, appreciate uh, what you're doing. And um, I wish you safety, health, and uh, make sure you get those rugs clean, okay? <laughs> Thank you. All right. You take care. Take care. Bye-bye. 